Good morning. Welcome to church. Great to have you with us um, at home, wherever you are, uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, on our church online platform. Um, if you're watching, if you're here live with us, just say hi, say g'day. Um, it's great to know that we're in this together. As you can see, we're empty here uh, this Sunday morning. And so you're at home, you are the church, uh, you're joining with us um, in faith. And uh, we're believing that God's going to use this morning to to encourage us, to challenge us, and to reach people with the gospel. Um, there should be connect cards and next step cards. Um, there should be links going up in the chat uh, to help you connect in different ways to church, to what's going on, to find out what's going on. Can I encourage you also to um, open up your church centre app right now um, and check in to church. Uh, let us know that you're watching. Um, find out what's going on in the events uh, things are still planning to, to happen and, and come up, so um, we'll use all the ways we can communicate to, to get that message across to you um, as we need to. Hopefully we're back here in the building and online next Sunday morning, um, but as we find out what happens over the next few days, we will let you know as soon as we do. Um, I also need to let you know that Tuesday night, Tuesday night in two days time we are having our team night and members meeting it's still going to go ahead and we're going to do it exclusively on zoom so there is links that have gone out in newsletters um, and there will be a link in the events uh, on the church center app so you should be able to find it um, and we're starting that at 7 30 p.m on tuesday night on zoom so make sure you pencil that in your diary you're probably not going to be out or be doing anything that night um, and so no excuse. We can all join together, have a good conversation and be encouraged by each other. Also really exciting this morning, we're starting a new ser a series in Esther. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks in Esther. And along with that, we're, we've got a reading plan. And so starting today, you can read through Esther with us as a church. Um, we've got these reading plans that we were planning to have printed out and handed to you in the building this morning, but you can find them. We'll put them up on our social media. Uh, we'll, we've got them on our website as well. You can go to sbc.org.au slash Esther and you'll find the reading plan there. Um, and if you can't find it, just start reading through two chapters a week. Very manageable and uh, you can be encouraged. And we've also got Renee Dukakis making her SBC preaching debut this morning. Uh, and what a morning to do it on in the first Sunday of lockdown four. Uh, and so if you don't know Renee, Renee's been a part of our church for the last five years and a worship leader um, and involved in many different ways in our church. And you're going to be encouraged by her this morning, I have no doubt. That's all the announcements that I've got this morning. There's um, ways that you can give online if, you've, if you need that. There should be links for that as well in the chat. Um, but, you know, just as we were coming in this morning, I was just, um, just want to encourage us um, with the season that we're in, um, uncertainty, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know, there's verses in, in God's Word about do not worry about tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. There's also verses in the, in the Bible about we live by faith and not by sight. Um, and, you know, I just had this phrase come, come to mind this morning, that we have an unknown tomorrow, but we have a predictable future. We have an unknown tomorrow, but a predictable future. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we do know what the future holds. We know that the future holds heaven. It holds relationship with God. And so we can be certain in these uncertain times. 
And so I want to encourage you this morning, no matter how you're feeling um, about the current situation, about what tomorrow will bring, to keep your eyes fixed on eternity, to keep, keep your eyes fixed on what we do know, on what is sure and what is secure. And that is Jesus and that is the future he has secured for us through the cross, through his redemption. And so with that, uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to spend a couple of, um, a couple of minutes worshipping together. We've got a couple of songs that aren't from our team this morning, um, but I encourage that they, um, I, I pray that they bless you. Uh, and that you can engage in, in worshipping, singing along at home. Maybe that means that you need to stand up, loosen yourself off, chuck that blanket off your legs and, and get, get up and moving about. Um, lift your hands. Really use this time to, to set your hearts before God and to, to lift your voice to Him. So let's pray and then we'll worship together before Renee comes and brings us the word. God, this morning we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a good God, that we can trust you in these uncertain times that we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we do know what the future holds, and you hold the future. And so, God, we just pray in this moment that we can be present with you, with each other, and with what you want to do in our hearts and through our church. And so, God, we pray that you would have your way in us and through us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Welcome to church this morning, everyone. I hope you're cozy and warm at your house. Last week, we finished our home series, so it's fitting, maybe a bit ironic that now we're stuck in our homes. Um, but this week, we're starting Esther. And selfishly, I have been very excited for this series. These are my favorite. When we take a book of the Bible, we open it up and we just delve in and we see what goodness, what truth there is to find there. So today we're covering chapters one and two, but we can't cover it all. So read along in that little guide that Pastor Brad was talking about. Um, and that will prepare you for the next week because there is literally a whole assassination plot in chapter two that we just don't have time to talk about today. And you will enjoy it, I promise you. The book of Esther, I was trying to like sum it up and it was kind of like Shakespeare meets the crown meets reality TV, um, but it's the truth. It is in the word of God and it's just so good. So I promise you, you'll enjoy it. Or I don't know if I can make that promise, but I really enjoy it. So it's a good recommendation. It would make sense that we start Esther in chapter one, but that's not where I want to start this morning. Um, I'm going to take you all over the place, but I want to start in Matthew because I want to start with a timeline of the Jews. So Matthew 1 verse 17, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. So this gives us a really nice summary of the Old Testament and the exile to Babylon. That might ring a few bells. I think it's maybe two years ago that our church did a study of Daniel. Don't quote me on it. Feels about two years ago. But then again, everything's kind of blurring together. So who knows? But the exile of Daniel is kind of where we are. So it's 120 years after Daniel. Um, it gets a bit confusing because Persia has taken over Babylon. And then um, what else is important to know? That the Jews have been allowed home. So some of the Jews have returned home to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city wall. 
but a lot of the Jews have stayed. And it's a really common thought that a lot of the Jews have stayed is because Jerusalem was war-torn. It was unsafe. There was no protection. So the Jewish people are kind of in this state. They're kind of in exile, kind of not, but they're just waiting, waiting for word to be delivered that it's safe. It's time to return home. And that's where we find Esther. So now we're going to go to chapter one, as we should, and we meet King Xerxes, also known as King Ahasuerus. I can never say it right. So he's just going to be called the king with me because there's King Jesus, but the king in the story is the only king, King Xerxes. All right. So the king is someone who is a really interesting character. He is wealthy, exuberant in all that he does. He is a little bit feisty. He's got a lot of love to give, but doesn't necessarily give it in the right ways. Um, And between you and me, I don't think he's the best king. And I've never been a king. I'm never going to be a king. But I get this impression in chapter one when he's been a king for three years And he goes, you know what I should do? You know, I think we should have a party. And he does. He invites all of the important people. He brings the nobles, the officials, the army, literally anyone of any importance is at this party. Um, And the party goes for 180 days. In uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For a full 180 days he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. And this gives me anxiety. I don't know who is running the kingdom at this point, but that's what he does. Maybe not the best king, but this is the decision he's made. And after this party ends, he has another party because, again, that's what makes to the makes sense to the king. So this party only lasts seven days, a really short, just a little blimp of a party. Um, but this time, everyone's invited. If you lived in the surrounds of the kingdom and you kind of were able to make it, you were invited. And this party, guys, I can't even think of an example to compare it to because it's just incomparable. There is the party in the setting of the king's gardens and he has like material hangings. He has gold and silver couches, which sound super uncomfortable, but they were there. And then the flooring is of marble and mother of pearl. Everyone gets their individualized, unique goblet that is just unique. It's how it's explained. And you get your choice of wine. Whatever you want, you get to drink. So just like, wow. I just try and like wrap my head around the just, just wow. That's all I can say. Wow. Um, and at the last night of the party, he's shown all of his wealth, all of his splendor, but he hasn't shown off the most beautiful lady in the kingdom. And that is his wife. He thinks, okay, let let us get Queen Vashti to come. She can put on her royal crown. She can put on her royal clothes and she can come and kind of wow my guests just that little bit more. It's really good in theory, but it's a bit awkward because Queen Vashti doesn't come. And the king, he's just outraged. He is so mad and it causes quite the kerfuffle. Him and his um, his advisors have this kind of discussion and it's not just a concern for the king, it's a concern for all of the people because what happens if word gets out that the queen doesn't obey and listen to the king? No wife will ever listen to and obey her husband ever again if the queen doesn't do that for the king. 
in verse 18, it says, there will be no end of disrespect and discord. They're very concerned. It's very concerning when wives don't listen to their husbands. Um, And so they decide to make an example of Queen Vashti. She is banished from the king's presence. Her royal title is stripped. And there is this decree that goes out to all the people that men are to be the rulers of the household. And that is a close to chapter 1. Chapter 2 opens up, and this is where we meet Esther, which you're kind of all waiting to meet Esther because she's the title of the book. Um, And we also meet Mordecai. We don't really get to talk about him very much this week, but just know he is, in my opinion, the real MVP. Um, Listen to his words of wisdom and his pearls of goodness through um, the book. He is just a really um, great person to look at as you go through. And if you have been around church for a while, if you haven't, that's okay. We're going to recap. We're going to go through it. But if you've been around church for a little while, it's really easy to go, I know the book of Esther. I mean, I watched, I watched Veggie Tales growing up, so I know the book of Esther. She was like this little green bean and, you know, the king decides it's time for a new queen. So she kind of gets put in this contest, this beauty pageant and... This little green bean is, I I think she sings at one point and she just wins the favour of everyone and she wins the competition. She's the queen. It's like a little biblical princess diaries moment and like six-year-old Renee was there for it. She just, she just, but I think quite often our assumptions of what happens clouds our, I guess, clouds our vision as we read and sometimes we read but we don't really realise what actually was going on. So, yes, the king decides that it's time, it's fitting for a wife, a new queen to replace Vashti. And throughout the 127 providences, they find their most beautiful young virgins and they kind of submit them to the king. And that kind of all sounds like it makes sense, but we have to realise that this was not a choice. You were chosen if you were a young, beautiful virgin. And it's not something you put your hand up for. It's not something you said, oh, sorry, I actually had, you know, my eye on the guy from the market. So I don't really want to come. I don't really want to be a part of the king's cohort. You didn't get a choice. If you were chosen, it would have been like an honour that you can't say no to. You can't say no to the king. Are you kind of getting this idea that what the king wants, the king gets, and you don't say no to the king? We kind of have seen what happened to Queen Vashti when she said no to the king. You don't say no to him. I was doing some research, and I found out that king, the king would have been around 40 at this time. And the young, beautiful virgins haven't been married yet, so they're probably teenagers, And they have to go through this year of beauty treatments and special diet. And, you know, it's this year of preparing them to see the king. And when they have their chance to come before the king, they come in the evening and they go in the morning. Are you reading in between the lines? And in verse 14 in chapter 2, it says, She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her. And summoned her by name. 
So this is a pretty warped, weird competition, okay? There's at least, um, let me find my number, at least 127 women because that's how many providences there were. And they're not going to come before the king unless he remembers their specific name. So we're kind of getting the idea that this is less pretty. This is less beauty pageant and a bit more gross, a bit, a bit yucky. Esther's hope as a young Jewish woman would have been to find a husband to have children. And if she doesn't please the king, she gets one chance at having a family. That's, that's what her assurance is, that she gets one shot, one chance with the king. And if she doesn't please, then she will be forgotten and she will serve the rest of her days in his harem. Not only that, but as a Jew, Esther has been told by Mordecai, don't tell them who you are. Don't tell them your ethnicity. And... We believe that that's because of some racial ideas around that time, that the Jewish were kind of lower people. But if she's not telling them who she is, she never gets to return home. On the day that, you know, word is um, released in Persia that the Jews can return home, it's safe. Esther, Esther does not get to return home. She's in the king's palace. So, yeah, it sounds okay. It sounds like, you know, a year of beauty treatments, like who wouldn't put their hand up for that? But there is a lot of grey in this time for Esther. There's a lot of unknown in this time for Esther. It isn't as picturesque as it sounds. And, yes, God is good to Esther. There is favour. You know, the, it says in Chapter 2 that the guy looking after everyone sees Esther and favoritizes her. She gets, you know, she gets the best servants and she gets the best quarters. But I know if there's discomfort in my soul, if there is, you know, this kind of thing that's weighing on me going, I don't know how this is going to turn out, it doesn't matter what situation, you know, I'm in. It doesn't matter how comfortable my bed is at night. I'm laying awake because I'm thinking, I just don't know what's coming. So I want to go back to that verse in Matthew. We're kind of going to put Esther on pause for a second. Go back to the verse in Matthew. And I want to focus on kind of the last bit because otherwise I'll get distracted and I'll be talking to you about way too many people. But it says, From David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. I read that and I go, there's something about 14. And, you know, when I was doing research, I found out that 14 can be associated with the idea of deliverance. And I think we're pretty comfortable in this, um, this idea because Jesus, hello, yes, deliverance, yes, and amen, complete and full salvation in his name. That is what we receive as Christians. And then sometimes I think we're a little bit less, less comfortable with the idea that sometimes God brings deliverance in the exile. And that's certainly what he was doing with the exiles of Esther's time. He put them in exile to bring them closer to his heart, to do something, to change something, to let his glory be known and let his glory be shared. He was doing something. And then in Esther's life, he's doing something. In her year of waiting, of her, in her year of unknown, God's doing something. He's positioning her. And at the end of these chapters, it kind of all seems good. Esther becomes queen. It's all worth it. It's all fine. But 
the story develops very quickly and um, I'm really trying hard not to do spoilers of the next few chapters, but the story goes downhill again and um, no longer is the situation okay. That's all I'm going to say. No longer is the situation okay. It changes very quickly for Esther again. But there is deliverance for Esther in her personal situation and for the Jews at whole. There is deliverance happening. There is freedom happening. And I think sometimes in our lives, in our exile moments, in our dark moments, in our unknown moments, I think God's trying to do something in them. I think God does work in mysterious and amazing ways. And sometimes it's in our darkest moments in our life that he's working. And I really want to be sensitive as I talk about this topic because I don't know what is happening on the other side of the TV this morning. I don't know what's happening. Maybe you're listening to this as a podcast. I don't know what's happening in your everyday life. I don't know what news that family member got. I don't know, you know, what happened yesterday. I don't, I don't know. But I do know in the darkest moments where you can't see how God could possibly work. I know that truly he does work in those moments. In the whole book of Esther, God's name is not mentioned. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, Elohim, the great I am, his name's not mentioned. But as you read through, as I read through, I see God's hand through the entire book. So it is possible that in our darkest moments where we say, God, you can't, you can't touch that. You can't redeem that situation because it is too dark, too ugly, too, insert an adjective here that maybe isn't appropriate for church. That situation is not okay. And I don't know how you can do anything in that situation. And sometimes God works in that situation. Sometimes. And, you know, all of the time I believe that God is working. It's just whether we can see it. Because sometimes, sometimes we will never understand what God is doing in this life. That is a reality. And I'm sure that some people have some hard times that they will never understand in this life what God was doing. But this isn't an idea that's just found in Esther in Genesis, at the start of the Bible, um, chapter 50, verse 20, it says, sorry, I'll give you a bit of context. Joseph, you know, the one that got sold by his brothers is kind of reconciling with them and says, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And if you know the ending of Esther, you know that that's a pretty appropriate verse. In John 16, verse 33, it says, you will have suffering in this world. And I don't know many Christians that have that cross stitched on their pillow, but that is truth. (laughs) You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have overcome the world. That's Jesus. He has overcome the world. And as I was preparing this sermon, my heart just kind of hurt a little bit because the story's unfinished. You know, 
as we kind of move forward in the weeks, I don't know what Pastor Brad and Tom are going to bring out in their sermons. But even as you read, there is things that will help you. There are resources that Esther uses that you can be like, yeah, that's encouraging. I need to do that in my season of waiting. There is times for prayer, fasting, time for words of wisdom. And there is a time where people literally have to pick up their swords and fight. So there are resources coming. But this sermon feels a bit unfinished because the story's unfinished. And your story, the situation in your life might be unfinished. That um, position in the workplace where you still, still on, I was going to say Monday, I don't know what day people are allowed back in their workplaces, but still on that day, you're not allowed to mention God's name. It's still a dark place. And still in those moments, God can be working. Even in the middle of the story. And I think in church, we're pretty comfortable with the idea of rising up faith in these moments of uncertainty and unknown, that we rise up faith and we believe that, yes, God is doing something in the hard thing. God is working. God is doing something. I think we're pretty comfortable and used to the idea of mustering up faith. But sometimes when you just get slammed and you're in this year of like, well, I don't know what's happening, kind of looks all right from the outside. I put on a smile. I come to church. It looks okay from the outside, but I don't know what's happening. I think sometimes our, if you're like me, our heart and our head just fight all the time. And it's like, pick a role. They just always mix it up. I can never tell which one's going to like stray on me, but sometimes my heart is broken. God, how could you allow this? How, how can you work in this? this? My heart is broken, but my head says, Renee, you know the truth. You know the truth. You know where to stand. And then sometimes it flips because I'm just a bit flip-floppy person. And <laughs> sometimes my head goes, God, I can't comprehend how you're in this situation. It's so dark. It's so bleak. And I can't comprehend how you can possibly fix this. But my heart says, God, I love you. And I don't, I don't know the, re- I know the reality and I, I can't comprehend it, but I love you. And I just believe in you. Sometimes there's this, I guess, this struggle of faith. And that's kind of what I want to end on this morning, the struggle of faith, because we're comfortable in the rising up faith and bringing out faith and faith the size of a mustard seed, that can move the mountains. But I want to talk about this man that came before Jesus with this, um, this son who had been demon-possessed for quite some time. And Jesus says to him, how long, oh, sorry, this is in Mark chapter 9. Uh, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many people said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. 
What a beautiful picture that even in that father's turmoil of saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus inserts himself into the situation, performs the miracle and picks up the dead thing by the hand. That moment when people go, well, the spirit's gone, but the boy's dead. You know, that is a situation where people did not have hope in. And in that moment, Jesus picked up the boy's hand. Oh, that gets me. That gets me. Because I think there are things that are kind of out of bounds because our heart and our head can't comprehend them. And we kind of go, well, yeah, I'm going to come to church on Sunday or I'm going to log in on Sunday, but that situation's just kind of hopeless. So I don't want to think about it. I don't want to pray about it because it hurts. It's a dead situation. It's a lifeless situation. And that is the situation where God wants to hold a hand, that God wants to do something. In Esther's year, God was doing something. God was doing something and it didn't speed up the process and it didn't Nothing in her immediate future changed, but like what Brad said this morning, the future is secure. He didn't use those words. I can't remember the words he used. I hope that gives encouragement to you as we go forward in the book of Esther, that if you're struggling with your faith, you're welcome here. I think there is blessing for the person that says, I believe, help my unbelief. And maybe you have been a Christian for 50 years and you need to come before your father and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Or maybe this whole church thing is new to you and you need to say that prayer for the first time. I believe, but help my unbelief. As we close, let's pray together. God, we submit ourselves to you. And we... um, bring forward each of our individual situations and you know what they are. No matter how dark, no matter how dire, we put them before your son's feet at his cross where he did the greatest work. And we bring these situations to you with all our heartache and we just, we just lay them before you because we can't do anything. The situation's out of our control. So we just lay these situations before you. And even if we can't see it, we're going to just take that step of faith this morning that we believe that you're going to do something, even if it's that kind of belief where I do believe, help my unbelief. And if we are in that position, God, you give us all your good gifts. So I pray right now for our church congregation, for our people online watching, for the people listening In the days to come, in the weeks to come, I pray that you would grow our faith. I don't believe there's any shame in you, God, when we come to you humbly and we say that I am struggling with my faith. I don't believe there's any shame. So, Lord God, I just pray that there would be an outpouring of your spirit in this moment, in every house, in every earbud. I pray that you would just fill us with a little bit more faith that believes in the darkest moment that Jesus, that you, God, that the Holy Spirit can insert something beautiful into that situation, that you can pick up the hand and bring that dead thing to life. Lord God, we give all of these things to you and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in us, that we would be your people, that we would be your church, we would be your bride. In these things we pray, amen.
Well, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday, church. I pray that you go out, that you have a great week. And I pray even harder that we can be here next week together in person. Bye.